So here with Lisa, yeah, and Peter from Salvo. So thanks so much. And actually, we were chatting before this, and I never thanked you. Salvo is a supporter of Equal Time Soccer. So I forgot to. Now it's on air. Now it's official. Now I can get credit for being gracious, which is great. So you guys have had a number of really cool things going on as a club in the last few years. And I think you said less than a year ago was the merger when Woodbury merged with Dakota Rev. And those were already, I mean, I'm not even from the cities, but I think those are already two, were seen as two of the most kind of established, well-run clubs. And then you merge. So I think that was kind of a, a big deal in the, in the soccer community. But now you're eight months in, you're probably still kind of in some of the fine-tuning of finishing up that merger, but talk about, Lisa, you, you run the business side. I mean, talk about organizationally what that merger has been like in terms of pulling those two operations and making them sync up well. It's been an interesting adventure trying to look at um, our process that worked well for each of us, trying to pick apart the two, you know, kind of what was working well, what was not, how do we marry the two together, and then ultimately make it better. Um, certainly we've had some instances where it was not scalable for the new organization, so back to the drawing board and trying to figure out what that new process is gonna look like. Well then, earlier when we were chatting, you mentioned like over 100 teams total. And is that essentially, I mean, was there, when you had to merge those operations, was there kind of a, um, a natural leaning of those teams because you know, talk a little bit because I think when I when I chatted with um, Brian Coleman, your girl side, one of your girl side uh, directors, he talked about one of the things is you know club size. What it helps with is making sure that every age group you have enough kids to kind of create that team. So that was one of the biggest drivers he talked about. But in in that merger. Um, you know, did you did you have to combine some of those efforts, or did you, you know, you uh, did some of those teams go away? In other words, because you have a more full roster at each level, or what was that like? Sure. So I think um, ultimately what happened is we were able to form what we were we label as high performance teams. So we have a navy and orange team, navy being the top team, orange being the next team in the group. So we were able to do that, and that kind of was across both Woodbury and Rev. Then what it allowed us to do is also look at steel groups within kind of each geography and then kind of fill out fill up the teams from there. In essence, what it did was it provided us a deeper player pool within the, the groups all the way through, so they're just more robust. So there were a few places, uh, for example, that I think, like I think it helps some of our central group to have teams a certain way. And certainly, I think at the end of the day, it just provided more opportunities. Right. One sec. We have some chatter. I'm going to move us closer <laughs> and see how that sound works out. Okay. Cool. Okay. So one of the other things you guys had go on, at least very recently, or a few weeks ago, was the announcement that you're now part of the Developer Academy system through U.S. Soccer. So until now, for um, people who are following it, Minnesota had one Development Academy squad on the girls' side, and that was Shattuck St. Mary down in Faribault. Um, so this was, if nothing else, you know, significant because now we have two, and there's there's a new operation. But I think also, um, you know, you guys being set up here, they're kind of a residential. Um, a, you know, they have a very specific model, kind of being the institution they are. So it's also kind of a different mix. Um, talk about the process of kind of getting through that 
and um, applying and working through and getting to that level because I know it's probably something that takes a lot more work than just the story seems like once it comes out. Um, so in terms of the application process, we started a couple years ago um, through the process. Part of the process is the build. There's the rote application. Uh, what are the name? What's the name of the club? Address? Like kind of the boring stuff, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but all, what also is required is a dense amount of information in terms of style of play, in terms of what do we have in terms of facilities, what do we have in terms of licensing of our coaches, what's our annual training plan that we're looking at, um, and all these pieces and how they integrate, and the ways in which we're going to help develop players. So ultimately, it's the process is lengthy, and you submit the application, and you in some ways you cross your fingers and then you kind of <laughs> go from there so you have conversations along the way certainly i think having um, having the opportunity to speak to people is helpful but ultimately the application they're standing on their own merit um, and i think we're unique in terms of to your point we're the only youth soccer club in the twin cities that has a girls development academy and so while shattuck is yes another girls development academy the model is different and so I think really the exciting part about getting the Girls Development Academy is it's an opportunity for us to share this this opportunity across the metro. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's yes, we are the club that has it, uh, but the reality is is that we're going to need cooperation and help from all the clubs to truly make it successful. Right. Well, and we're in this big, you know, we're at here the sports center at here, the Bielenberg Sports Center in Woodbury. This is sort of. Uh, for someone who grew up in like rural Minnesota playing on pretty crappy fields, it's sort of magnificent. So it's great. It's great. Um, we have the you know soccer fields down there, ice rinks down here. How much do you think those facilities played a role? Um, because in the development academy structure, I mean, they basically list like four pillars that they look for. So the academy leadership and quality of coaching, desire to embrace DA philosophy and core values. So that seems sort of just like buy-in, probably that commitment and buy-in. Infrastructure and investment of resources. So I think what we're looking at here. Um, and then player production history, player pool depth, and geographic location. So. Um, that's actually, I hadn't thought too much about that. You sort of had to prove your player production history of like. Prove some value, right? What, lev what level you your players have gotten to before. Yes. So, what was that like of having to prove kind of our coaching quality and player quality? I mean, we're all Minnesotans, but did you have to like dig deep and get a little braggy during that point? I mean, how do you, how do you <laughs> sell that part of it? certainly some elements of bragging had to go on. Um, probably in a Minnesota way, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so certainly in terms of highlighting the quality of our staff was a pretty straightforward process. Lots of those people have been with us for a number of years, are still with us, and so that was pretty straightforward. In terms of player production, it was a matter of looking at not only what we've done recently, but certainly going back a number of years. And so it was looking at, and to be fair, I'm not sure. So I know the Woodbury version of the club didn't do the best job of tracking like how many players had gone to play Division One, how many right. had gone to play Division Two. Um, we had a decent idea, and so it was a matter of going back and mind this. I think, luckily for our organization, we have had a youth national team player, Cassie Coleman, was a part of Woodbury Soccer Club. And, right, the, um, and the Colemans are like yeah. the Kennedys of Minnesota soccer. There we so go. it's like, so the name will cut through. It was, help, it was helpful, absolutely. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so, I mean, the reality is if we've, we have produced a national team player, we have produced professional players, and so right. then we also have this legacy mm -hmm. and also current 
reality of producing right. high-level software so, so those pieces were helpful. And I think in some ways, kind of fun to go back and see the names. And um, certainly, I started Woodbury ten years ago, and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Why do we just <laughs> you kind of take them back into the archives? Yeah. So. Some, somehow you forget those individual names when you have thousands and thousands and thousands of players coming through each club, right? Well, and um, and Lisa, you we were chatting before, and you talked about you know some of your involvement. Um, early on on the rep side and then through that through your kind of era of service to the club is you know that you have kids involved in the sport and I think that's actually how so many people get involved in the game is either they played as kids or their kids play or you know they have to volunteer and coach or something I mean I think people's ramps into the game are really organic like that a lot of time I mean I think people think oh yeah did your dad play and then you wanted to you know there's not that legacy element I think for a sport like this in the U.S. is maybe it happens, but it's also I think a lot of the connections are kind of organic like that. So talk about the you know your kids have gone through and played. Talk about what that's been like seeing them play kind of through this transition, and are they are they still playing now? Yes, uh, three of them are still playing. Uh, the fourth is too old to be playing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's always been it's been. Um, a nice motivation of making sure that we're providing good services for everybody. It's not um, it's not just for my kids, it's not just for any particular family, but um, being ingrained in the community that, that I live in and knowing that um, it's serving a vast majority of kids and giving lots of people the opportunity to have that sport um, and really just to build the community within our club as well uh, so that we are a place that people can call home. Cool. Well, and the other kind of more recent piece too is, um, you know, after the merger, and I'm sure the the DA process was months and months ago of putting in all that work. It just happens to been announced a few weeks ago. But then also, which came out was uh, that Sabo will have a WPSL team. Um, so part of kind of coincidentally, I think. Uh, sort of splash expansion in the last couple of years in Minnesota where last year the fire came in and they're still here um, and then the twin stars kind of merged with Maple Brook however you would say that so not a not a new team but a different looking team and then Mankato, Rochester, Fargo is still around you guys are now here so now there's sort of a Minnesota plus Fargo only conference um, and so talk about the process of thinking about coming up a team coming up with a team for that level of play because it's kind of a specific league where um, you know it's not so much like the family driven and serving the community necessarily or you know I'm sure an element is that but it's not so much oh we have tons of families moving here and they all want their 23 year old daughter to play in the scene you know it's just not the same vibe um, but talk about the process of, of kind of coming to the decision to create a team like that so probably a main driver is it certainly completes our player pathway on the girls' side from five to, in essence, senior amateur, right? So um, certainly within the youth side, we're a club all the way through 19 and now um, beyond that. For us as a club, we had a team last year that played in the summer that was under 23 women's team. And so there's a logical progression to go, okay, we had that team last summer. That seemed to be a good experience for those women. Here's another opportunity from that perspective. So it's, I mean, it's been exciting. Like, again, you know, we had a group of women that were interested in the team, so we felt like we had a good foundation to build from. Um, we also had some communication with Greg Wheaton, and he certainly has helped drive that process for us. And the head coach of the team The head coach of the team now. 
and so that's been that's been massive. And so it's worked out really well, and we're excited about uh, this summer. Yeah. Well, and I so the answers you gave in our WPSL preview were interesting enough that I think some of them. Even though you haven't done a full like roster announcement, I think at least one of them stuck out to me okay. as a giveaway. If I'm if I'm reading it correctly, the fact that you have a player from the University of Michigan, and I think they have a Minnesotan on their team. Did, did so you? I, I could I could draw a connection and assume that maybe that player will be coming to playing for you guys. Perhaps I think uh, which, so. In coming which weeks would, which would hypothetically be which would hypothetically be a very big get. A top, Absolutely. a top 100 or top 50 recruit last year. I was mixed up, and also yeah. the rankings go kind of here and there. But a pretty top player. And Absolutely. then your list also included a really good mix of kind of um, conferences in the region, so the broader Midwest. How much of that is um, players that you've had before who were playing at the club level, and then they kind of made their way to different co colleges, and then come back in the summer? Um, you know, what's the mix like? Because Maple Brook talked about that a lot, and you talked about that a lot, where you're kind of continuing that progression of age groups. Um, so what's the mix like in terms of, you know, players who you've seen before versus ones that you kind of got cold or, like, that yeah. you recruited new? Yeah. So I would say we're probably at about 80% of the roster are women that have played certainly in the Twin Cities before. Mm -hmm. um, so from that perspective, are known in our community. I'm excited to come back to the community and play. Certainly because of their experience and where they are in terms of at other universities, there's always there's always a few drag right? like, Hey, I'm gonna go play here this summer. All right. Minnesota's beautiful for this eight exact weeks. season. For eight weeks, ten weeks. That happens to be during the WPSL season. Exactly. So come, come, come with see me. our most yeah. gorgeous version. Exactly. We're really hating on winter. Come with this me. is great. Come with me and go from there. So right. it's been and that's nice because it adds some Certainly, some quality of the team. It also has some texture to the group in terms of just it's not all of uh, our own kids, and it's not right. all, only Twin Cities kids. Like there's a right. few other people mixed in, which is great. Right. Well, in the I mean, I think one of the most interesting things that we've seen in the in the metro area, but across Minnesota, which is why I kind of put this on the the questionnaire that we sent to teams, is what your home field will be. I think people really underestimate the challenge of finding. Good game space. I think for folks who follow kind of lower division soccer more broadly, like Minneapolis City normally played at Augsburg forever, and Augsburg was renovating the field. And the replacement field that Minneapolis City got, a team with a city in its name, yeah, was in Maple Grove. I mean, like that was that was the closest they could get. And people, and I tease them, and people tease them, but finding the, the horror stories you heard about like having to, on somewhat short notice, find a game field in the Twin Cities core when you didn't already have those, like, that setup was brutal. And so I, I, that made me think about what it's like to set up the back end for a WPSL team because the other, one of the other questions we asked was, um, what kind of financial setup you're going with? Because I think the teams in this league vary incredibly wide, widely from teams who are established enough that players pay nothing and get housing and get meals and whatever, which I think is incredibly rare, and the more common setup where players have to pay a fee of some level, whether it's a couple hundred bucks, maybe even over a thousand bucks, I've heard of that, that is not, a, that is not an unknown number in the league, um, and then, so I, I think that back end is really complicated, and I don't know that people know much about that, I mean, 
Lisa, when you guys started doing that team team building, I mean, what was that like on the business side of, yeah, how do we, how do we fund this? You know, how do we, do we try and get different sponsors for this team? Do we, where do we play? What do we do about housing? I mean, what's that, what's that been like on the business side? It's been, for myself, it's been a big learning curve because that's brand new for me. So trying to understand exactly what all, what all is included, what opportunities we have so that we can, um, we can provide that opportunity for those women to play um, and have support from the community as well. Um, so it's it's been an interesting adventure so far. Uh, we're not at the point that it's no fees, but hopefully we'll get there. Right. Yeah, we, were, we certainly still fall in that pay-to-play model. There's, we are certainly pursuing some avenues of support. And there's... It's a good summer to have that conversation with the Women's World Cup going yeah. on this summer. I think it's a good time to have the conversation because there's certainly some energy for opportunity from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a part of what we're doing to figure out, hey, here's some other ways to make it more accessible. Um, certainly for us, it was great help that Greg Wheaton, who is the head coach, is, also has a connection within the Twin Cities to have a place for us to play. So, yeah. so there's that. There's that balance too. So, right. Which is nice. To your point, it is difficult to find game field space, in particular as we get out of the youth age groups. And cities are like, well, how does this really fit? Right. You know, it, it's it's easier for a city to say, oh, it's our kids. That makes sense. Right. It becomes a bit more difficult when they're when they're young adults. Right. I would think it would be. A more logical, potentially an easier conversation to keep young adults engaged with your community because right. eventually you'd hope that they move back to be residents. But right, I don't know. Well, and it's um, you talked a little earlier about, and in your announcement, you know, talked about um, that Minnesota version of bragging, but but was I think a pretty a pretty good level of bragging of being the only club to serve. You know, now that you have the DA and the WPSL being the only club to serve five to forty five. And that was clear. So that was, I actually think you did a great job of going, maxing out your Minnesota version of bragging. Dare I say, it might have even been real bragging. So for, which I love. Well, because from Minnesota originally. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's, maybe, I maybe that's why. Yeah, that's how radical you were. You're willing to sell your own club. That's how much bragging you're doing. Um, but I think the, uh, I think there is kind of an interesting discussion with clubs in the cities. I think the, the Twin Cities Soccer League, um, when I first started writing about uh, women's soccer, was kind of a really big point of discussion because it was pretty fresh. But I think um, what's interesting is if you talk to parents versus in, in the cities, they talk about, you know, um, in certain ways, um, MASL was not willing to better, probably NYSA um, was not willing to... Um, make some of the changes that teams were asking for. I mean, uh, one parent talked about, you know, they're a St. Paul family and they would have just kind of a one-off, yeah, it's a Tuesday, you have a game in Duluth, so just like drive up, drive back, it's fine, no big deal. And when they said, hey, you know, that's kind of tight, like to have to leave school early and go up to Duluth, and they sort of fell on, or they felt like it was falling on deaf ears. And so I've actually heard some, in, you know, some excitement about that Twin City Soccer League where there's more options locally, and I think that falls into what you guys talked about of, making sure you have options at those different levels, you know, that you have kind of those opportunities at every age group. But how, for you guys, how do you try and balance the, because the DA is sort of like 
top-level elite development of like getting the best players and really trying to get them to be top performers. How do you balance that with like the the standard we serve a geographic area and community members? Because it's sort of there's probably not that many clubs that have to deal with it in such an explicit way. You know, how do you guys think about balancing that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it's important that you remember what the basis and foundation of our club is, right? So our, the bulk of our kids are starting to play at five and six years old. So keeping those things in mind. And they, it's critical that we you set up opportunities within each community so they have a chance to play and keep playing as long as possible. Yeah. Eventually, families make a decision about, hey, we want to travel. We're willing to travel to the next city. Okay, right. perfect. You're in this spectrum. Some other families are like, well, we don't care about the next city. We want to go across the city. Okay, right. well then you're in this you're in this section. So it's I think it's more straightforward than you think. Mm -hmm. There are many families are, are happy to have their children participate in. Probably eighty percent of our families are like, hey, we just want our kids to be active. We want them to be engaged. We want right. them to learn other lessons and values that right. youth sports are able to provide right. and delivered correctly. Like they could be playing soccer or a different sport, yeah, where absolutely. it's just like, it's sort of the broader idea. Yeah. Yep. And then eventually, there, there's a there's a group of young athletes who are a certain caliber, there's a group of families who are like, yeah, we, we think we can push on. And so then the conversation becomes bigger. So it is it is fairly straightforward, but it also takes resources. Like our club has a dedicated soccer person mm -hmm. who's responsible for soccer within our community programs. His whole job is to make sure that the soccer we do for our five-year-olds through to, we actually have recreational community soccer to 18. Right. It's soccer that those kids enjoy and want to play and keep coming back. That's unique. Like Again, uh, no other club is doing that in terms of being thoughtful about how do we deliver just to participants, kids that want to play. And then the other pieces are, are probably way more somewhat other clubs, right? There's right. directors who are responsible for certain age groups, certain levels of play, and those things are fairly important. Well, and talk about that build-out of kind of, you know, a few weeks ago you find out you're part of the DA system or it's official that you're part of the development academy. What's the kind of timeline to get to, you know, like, obviously it takes a while for it to be fully operational, but even when do players hit the field as a member of X team, you know, the U14s for the Salvo DA, you know, when they have the DA on their shirt instead of just the Salvo, you know, when does the, what is it summer or fall? Those teams will begin next fall. Okay. Those teams will begin in the fall, so... In essence, from now until we have tryouts, and we're still in the process of just like, figuring out when tryouts are going to fall, mm -hmm. it's a process of parent informational meetings, mm -hmm. certainly communication through our website and social media pieces, mm -hmm. player need clinics. We'll be out at major events like State Cup, President's Cup, um, and other events to scout players and identify players. And also at the same time, helping our families understand the opportunity and being clear about that it's an additional opportunity. This is not, in fact, replacing anything. Like, we're still gonna have a top team. Right. In the Navy, we're still gonna have right. an orange team. This is an additional opportunity, because it's really unique. And the reality is it's five teams. At the end of the day, at most, it's 100 players. Right. It's not a huge number in the Metro. Like, and, right. And so, just, I think, keeping in mind that it's another opportunity. It's a unique opportunity. Well, and you said, you mentioned the, that brings up, um, I think it was yesterday, you had your kind of 
a family discussion event where we kind of open yeah. where folks come in and um, kind of like an information session. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, what's the, do people, is, are the parents so into it already that they already know exactly what the DA is and they, yeah. oh, they say, oh, wait, does, how does this compare, you know, are they going deep on ECML versus DA already or are they yeah. saying, no, oh, what is this? I think it was more about what is this. Um, I think there was also a, pro a bit of a process of understanding how to fit within the current spectrum of our club. And so really that conversation is connected to, it's in addition to, it's not a replacement for. Um, I think the, the families that were there were unique from the perspective it's an open room. So we had Salvo families there, we had families from other clubs there. Um, Matt Tiana from TCSL was there, which is certainly nice to be in the room to help understand. So I think and when this, we have those... Was he there to kind of just talk about the almost kind of like... He was there to listen. Oh, okay. To listen and get information. Right. Because I think one of the things... He was that, like, hey, are you taking no, some clubs yeah. out of my league? No, no, no. Uh, well, it may, may have crossed his mind, but, but, I, but I met with him. We met with TCSL and NYSA on Friday just yeah. to talk about the girls' day, what, what it would be like, yeah. and how it impacts. So really a massive focus for us has been to reach out to the leagues. Okay, here's how we think it'll impact you, what questions you're gonna have. So they're informed, they can answer questions of, from their members and not be surprised by things. And then in addition to that, us reaching out to clubs around the metro and trying to connect and explain. So the family meeting was really reflective of that process of, hey, we have some questions and yeah. talking through it. I think we're still definitely at the point of like, well, how does this fit with what we do? Right. As opposed to, what is this opportunity entirely? And right. certainly some of the families in the room um, have a better feel for it, mm -hmm. but it's families who are, it seems, who are from other metros who have the DA currently. So they have some experience right. with it, right? I think that'll be part of our process is our families getting experience with yeah. what the DA means, what it is, what it isn't. Mm -hmm. There's a different framework. Right. You know, its goal is ultimately to produce women's national team players, mm -hmm. the best players. Right. It is certainly part of that process is to develop high level Division One women's soccer players. Absolutely. Youth national team players. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate goal is women's national team players. So right. it's a really... No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> just the best players for the best team in the entire world. Right. So it's just nothing no short problem. of that. No problem. We've got this. Right, right. Well, and talk a little bit about the um, what the process of filling out that coaching staff will be. I mean, I think of even, even bringing on, because I think in my head what I wonder about is, you know, if, if the DA is at a kind of another level and it's in its higher level and probably more commitment, I mean, like in terms of year round, then are these coaches, is the process for hiring these coaches um, sort of different because these coaches will be doing, you know, even frankly, like if a regular youth coach, every team is like a quarter of their time or a sixth or half or eighth, however, you, however they fraction it out, is this a bigger fraction? You know, are, are some of these coaches half or full time? or Will there be, you know, do you have a few full-time that do two of the teams? Or, you know, have you, have you thought about So, that? it'll be a significant commitment for the coaches. No way around We have, so our process for hiring those coaches has, we started the process with kind of reaching out beyond the Metro. Part of that is because there is a requirement for a high licensure. Right. So, there is an expectation that 
you have a C, you have a B. Certainly by 2021, you have a B license. Okay. Um, so you need to have a C to be on the staff. Just that kind to be of a the, head coach. That's the, the head coach. That's the, the that's the yeah. That's the that's floor. the barrier of entry. That's the floor. And for uh, assistants, can it be below that? Can it be like D license? It can be, but I think really we're looking from our perspective. Right. If the goal is to produce better players. Yeah. We need better coaches. Yeah. The goal is to produce better players. We need a better environment. So being thoughtful about those things. Um, in in the near future, the B will be the floor. So we need to be aspiring for that now, not waiting until they tell us. Right. And I think that's been something a hallmark of our clubs is we don't really need others to tell us what we should be expecting of ourselves in terms of the best. That's what we're striving for. So we've reached out beyond the metro. We've reached out beyond our state to find um, some additional resources and coaches that we we hope will help us. We've they have come in and visited us and to work with our kids and for us to meet them and work with them from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wonderful thing is this, the Girls DA, is, it is an attraction. So those, right. those coaches only so many, right? those coaches have made their own way here. Like right. We have not had to do too much to help them get here. Right. And that's been great. And the next part of the process is working from within our own. Okay, who do we have within our own staff who's interested in the opportunities yeah. and who fit the profile of our development academy coach. And then after that, we'll certainly put the applications out to the Twin Cities and again, see who's interested, who, who fits the profile for that level of coach, and then we'll make the hirings from there. In terms of will coaches be, have two teams or one team or full-time, right. but those things are still to be determined. Based on who you see in the pool? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, absolutely. I think each, this will always be the case for a period of time. Actually, this will always be the case for us. We find good people and then try to figure out the best way to fit them and what they're great at. And not squeeze them into what we need, but how can we help them excel in a spot that's good for them? That's great. Well, and they're, um, so other than having to roll out a full DA system and roll out a brand new WPSL team, is there anything else going on with the club that you guys want to talk about? Anything else that we should be aware of? I think from a club perspective, certainly the last eight months we've learned a lot of things about our own club, like even aside from the new things we're at. And so I think as we look into the new year, the reality of, hey, we need to make sure that we have some additional resources this way and being thoughtful about those pieces. We have certainly looked at, we had ways we were doing soccer in each spot. Okay, how can we align those pieces? So they're just with that And then... That goes along with the business part. So, I think in terms of massive announcements, no, I think we're going to hit pause for yeah. the moment. Like we're good. Um, we just go make sure we know what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and get after it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much, you guys, Lisa, Peter. This was great. We will all come out to see the new, you know, wait, it's, what are the colors we have to, it's not just orange and blue, right? What do I need to call it? So the girls' DA will be the girls' DA. Right. And the Navy team is a top team. Navy, or is the next team? Navy and orange. Navy so we'll have orange, to come out and yeah. see the Navy and orange in WPSL. And I'll just say come out and see the Navy and orange in the DA. Yeah, of course. Sure. So come see you guys. And um, if you have not been out to the Bielenberg uh, Sports Complex, there's a great halfway frozen ice rink up front still. <laughs> ice rink inside, soccer field up, uh, inside as well. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you Thank very you. much.